Hello, and welcome to the Extension Experience Podcast with your hosts, Josh Bouchong, Trent Malachik, and Dana Zook. Here you'll find insights into Oklahoma agriculture from West Area Specialists employed by Oklahoma State University Extension. Their perspectives come from assisting county educators and producers in the areas of agronomy, animal science, and economics. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. Josh Bichon. And I'm Dana Zook. A lot has gone on lately, Dana. You've been traveling the world, so to speak. And I've, Josh and I have been talking quite a bit about crops here recently and figured it was time to get back to cattle a little bit. And I know that we've got a lot coming up here at the end of the summer. People are going to be switching gears away. You know, our producers who have cropland and cattle are going to be getting some of their farmland uh, back in shape, ready to sow to wheat, and going to be thinking more about uh, what they're going to do with that crop. And then you got your cow-calf guys. That cows pretty much been taking care of themselves pretty good all summer with all this rain, but we're going to have to start thinking about uh, supplementation needs for the winter and the, and the fall and winter feeding period. Mm-hmm. So I guess let's start there. If I'm a producer with cow-calf operation and I'm, I'm coming off of this good summer, like personally, looking at my herd, cows are fat, don't seem to have any problems going on right now in terms of nutrition. What should be my goals moving forward here into the fall feeding period? So that's that's a, a great situation to be in. Cows in good condition. And that's a, a good point to make. What is the body condition score of our cows? Do we need to gain a little condition? I think we're talking more on spring calvers. Trent, you've got a lot of cows that have calved this summer, a little bit of a transition period yeah. for that. But um, for spring calvers, we want to kind of identify where we're at for the cow herd. Of course, we've got good nutrition now, but that grass quality is going to go down as we move through. Well, I can already tell it's going down. Yeah. <laughs> Some of that Bermuda that's headed out and stuff, they, they don't like it as much as they used to. No, that's right. The, the rain has helped, but yeah, we're in that situation. So... Uh, what are your nutrition options going forward? Are we going to use hay or are we going to use maybe stockpiled Bermuda grass? I know that can be a little bit of an issue here in Western Oklahoma. Do we have native grass we can turn them out um, on? And so we need to determine our options. Um, so the main thing to do is get some hay, hay tested. You don't know if you don't know where you're at, you don't know where you're going. Okay. Our hay tests in the extension offices for protein and energy on a hay test is about what, $14? Um, yeah, could vary a little bit. Depends on how fancy you want to get with the types of things you're testing. But yeah. Yeah. So I would always promote protein and energy. Um, that to me is the basic test. And if you want to take it a couple steps further, but that, that would get you a lot of answers. Um, okay, so backing up just a little bit, you say protein energy. We all pretty much know what proteins use for feeds okay. the bugs in the rumen, and it helps helps uh, process different forages the cows eating. Yep. Mm-hmm. Energy. What is energy testing? So energy testing typically it's testing the fiber level, the pal- palatability. Um, it shows the passage rate. You know how much can cattle consume. So a lot of our energy is tested in ADF acid detergent fiber. That's a complicated term, but it's testing the quality of the fiber. Is it very digestible? You know, is it a, is it, was it a hay that was baled 
you know, appropriately when it was green or is it a lot of native, you know, mature native grass, maybe just baled up recently, then it would have a higher fiber level, meaning it would uh, digest slower. Um, so without getting too complicated, it really shows the palatability and cows use energy to put on weight. You need a good balance of protein and energy to put on weight. And of course, like you said, um, you need that protein to keep those bugs in the rumen uh, functioning and being able to digest that lower quality forage. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just important for people to think about that. If your hay bale is pretty much a consistency of Metamucil, it's <laughs> not going to help your, your cows that much. And the more mature forage gets, you know, the less digestible it is. And so. it doesn't work like Metamucil then. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so with that, but yes, you're, you're totally right. Um, lots more fiber, um, can be slower as far as passage rate. Um, you see the, if you see cow patties out there stacking up real tall, lots of fiber, um, those cows need a little protein and, and we could spend, we might need to spend a whole episode on analyzing manure biles because that would be, I mean, it is it a science. A it is a science. Yeah. Well, there is an app for that now. There is an app for that is it a texas a&m app i, don't I can't know. remember who made it but yeah it, it'll let you know what's going on with your cows i've always done that i guess early on when i worked in feedlots um and did some nutrition work when i was in nebraska a very wise professor from nebraska taught me to look in a manure pile and figure out if we have an acidosis or a digestive upset issue so i've always looked at that but i didn't know it was quite as sciencey as people have taken it on well, if it splatters your boots from five feet away, she's probably got enough nutrition. <laughs> so. Watch out for the wheat pasture calves. Yeah, that's right. So so that that's really as far as hay testing. We just want to emphasize that it's important. Um, all of us can look at it. I mean, Josh, from his perspective, from a, a forage perspective, from a plant perspective, can look at it. Trent can look at it from an economics perspective. We all have, I think we can all promote um, forage testing to save you money, to identify, you know, the forage quality, that sort of thing. And then know way down the line, um, you know, what sort of feed you need to complement that hay. Mm -hmm. I guess another way to look at it is what do you need and what do you have and how can you use it? I know, you know, every year we have some wheat get rolled up into what's called hay, but it might be mm -hmm. more straw because it gets belled late. So absolutely straw with grain in it. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. How would we include something like that for roughage and mix it with what else we can find? Yep. So if you can, um, if you want, you've got to know what you have. So if yep. you have some of that straw with crane in it, that very mature wheat pasture, hay or something like that, wheat, hay, um, you can mix it. If you have that ability, there's a lot of things we can do. We can get really creative. Cattle can eat just a variety of things if we know what we have. Yeah. And economically, it's so important because standing, harvesting standing forage with a cow is going to be the cheapest way to do it. And then we mm -hmm. go to hay and that becomes a little more expensive. And then if we're feeding poor hay and we have to also supplement with cubes, we're meeting those cows even more often. We're paying even more money for that feed. You know, a processed cube that's in a bag is going to be probably your most expensive way to supplement a cow. So the farther on down the line we go, the more expensive it gets. And we hope to hit somewhere towards the beginning there where we're harvesting standing forage, mm -hmm. with just a little bit of supplementation to get them by to try to make those budgets uh, work better for us. Yeah, I think I, well, I, I did a BQA presentation yesterday and it's a little off topic, but it talked about 
you pay a dollar early on. If you don't pay that dollar, spend that dollar, get those analysis done. You maybe spend $10 the next step or maybe $100 down the line. You know, it really adds up if you're, uh, you know, adding all those extra things when you could just have the cow. I know during the wintertime in Oklahoma, you can't always just spend the whole wintertime out on pasture. A lot of people have limitation on acres or the quality of the grass. You're going to have to provide some protein to those cows. But if we can minimize that, that would be huge to making cow-calf producers, cattle producers more profitable. So um, I guess the next step I would take, Trent, as far as feed, you know, Mm -hmm. if you've got it tested, what are your options now? So um, once you know the hay quality, you have kind of an understanding maybe of standing grass quality over the winter time, inquire about what local supplements you can get. I know Trent, you sent me an email a couple of weeks ago about um, maybe a less local place, but an offering for distillers cubes. Yeah. Um, they're still out there. Um, getting an idea of what you can use. Do you need? Do you need a thirty-eight percent cube or a 40 percent cube? Can you get by with a twenty? You know, what are the difference in costs of those? That sort of thing. Yeah, and matching that to your forage. Your, your main forage source, whether that's standing hay or standing forage or hay, it becomes kind of, oh, you feel like a pharmacist every once in a while <laughs> because, you know, it, a lot oftentimes we think protein is king, but that's not always exactly what you need. But what what would a high protein supplement complement in terms of a forage okay. source? Okay. So um, typically high protein, I, I'm a big promoter of high protein supplements. They're a lot less cost per pound of protein, but you've got to do a little math for that. Um, but it complements basically a, a, a native grass, standing native grass situation. Really perfect um, pairing there because native grass in January is probably three, three to 4% protein. Um in, in most situations, something that hasn't been grazed, you know, a new pasture that you're sharing out on three to 4% protein and correct me if I'm wrong, Josh. Um, but that is a perfect pairing, um, for that, uh, you feed less pounds, you can feed the, you know, less pounds at a time than a 20. Um, and a lot of times it's a little cheaper, um, in the long run. So by um, high protein, we're talking 30% or 38% cubes. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you're not going to get much higher than 38, 40%. Then you're looking at just pure soybean meal. Um, but we're not going to probably see that. But yeah, a 30, I, w- I don't want to get away from promoting that 30%. Um, I think that that a lot of times has a high fat additive. Tends to be a high fat cube. Yeah. yeah I, I'm just, a, I just really like that. I know you've had success with that in the past. It's a really good option um, for producers that maybe need to put a little body condition on cows, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Cause that's usually what we're missing from those high protein energy sources is some uh, energy or high protein <laughs> sources. There's not much energy in yeah. those uh, by default. You think about that 38% cube. It's not not a whole lot of fat, but that's what the distillers cubes have kind of moved us towards is a 30% cube that also has a high energy content. Yeah. And I, and I would promote distillers products up and down just because I have a lot of experience with those, but there may be some limiting factors on that production going forward just because of the rollback of the ethanol um, industry. But you might be surprised and I could be surprised too, but it looks like there might be a little bit less availability for that. But like you sent me that option the other day and didn't sound like there was any limitation there. Yeah, um, well, we'll see. We'll see. People who buy early are always the ones that yeah. are set up perfect, you know, and, and you think about 
what your plan is going forward. You might want to have plan number two or three, depending on what's available, uh, because we can't always get these products all winter long or supply chain disruptions can kind of get you in trouble. So it, it pays to have more than one plan moving forward nutritional wise. Yeah. So this is the time of year, I think, from my feed sales past where people will book prices. Um, and so, like you said, early bird gets a worm. Um, if you can book or reserve some pay, pay ahead for some product, you might have a better option. So you just need to see what's locally available. I would never promote you to drive 200 miles to get something. <laughs> you won't look what's your local source. Um, look at the prices on your local options and, and inquire with your feed, you know, local feed company. Can you get me this? You know, just because they don't have it in stock all the time doesn't mean you, they can't get it for you. Um, and so, you know, see how their flexibility is. Um, the other thing to think about is maybe it's not always a cube. No. You know, I know I know we're limited in some factors, but a blended feed is a local option in some areas of Oklahoma. Um, and, and that can that can make you a little bit more flexible. Um well, I was talking to a producer the other day and they'd planted oats with the intention of making hay and didn't quite get it harvested in time to make hay. So then it went to grain. So they harvested it for grain, but it had some weed seed in it that made it <laughs> undeliverable. So all of a sudden he's got a whole bunch of feed oats well, <laughs> and, and, you know, just looking for opportunities like that uh, could be a pretty good option for lower cost feed sources. I think there should be a lot of producers that would want something like that. Oats are very expensive in a blended ration, but you know, you'd have to be flexible. It may not be a high enough protein to, you know, completely get back, but that would have a, a really good energy factor as mm -hmm. well. Maybe for cows and calves, baby calves. Oh man. Oats would be perfect for backgrounding calves. Well, yeah. Let's shift gears away from the, the big old mama cows and think about backgrounding some calves. We're going to have producers buying calves for, wheat pasture and they spend some time in the lot getting straightened out, as we say, and maybe you can walk through some of that uh, nutrition because that, that's a, quite a bit different. A little baby cow isn't going to be able to to handle some of those uh, lower protein sources that we have. Yeah. So kind of hay quality, how important is hay quality? And then what kind of uh, blended feeds or feeds are we going to be feeding those animals? So the thing with backgrounding calves, I've always talked to producers about the key is palatability. This is not the time to uh, use up your old hay, use up your mature wheat pasture or wheat hay. I keep seeing wheat pasture hay. Uh, this is not the time to do that. These calves are under a stressful situation at weaning or just after. So palatability is key. Um, again, get your hay test so you know <laughs> what the quality is. Um, but you want it to be a, a good hay quality. Um, depends on what your what your situation is. Can you put them in a dry lot? Um, is it a more of a you can you can provide feed with calves on a grass trap? Um, there's lots of different ways to do that. But good quality, palatable hay, Bermuda grass hay. You know something that 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 was cut right. Um, you know higher protein level. We want to say like. 10, 12% protein on a hay would be a good option for calves. And then, then pairing that, getting them bunk broke with maybe a, a, a starter ration. I've always been a promoter of some of those textured feeds for baby calves because it's just a little bit more palatable. But like you said, oats, that's a good option. Um, you know, there's a lot of options out there for like a 14 or 15% starter cube. Um, that'd be fine. It's got to be little. All right. If we've got 20% cubes for cows laying around, it's not the best option for, 
you know, newly weaned calves, they're not going to eat that as well. They're not going to be able to get enough out of that. I think producers should also think, you know, we've had a pretty wet summer. There's bound to be some lower quality alfalfa out there Mm -hmm. that might fit that program pretty well. Maybe Mm -hmm. a little more mature alfalfa that's come down on protein levels, but is is still palatable. Now you got to be careful with that because the longer alfalfa sits in the field that, uh, you know, our TDN can go down pretty pretty far and it, it makes it pretty hard to digest that alfalfa and it can have high protein. I know we've talked to some educators where we've seen 15, 16% protein still fairly good, but it's just not digestible. Yeah. So TDN is a reflection. It's total digestible nutrients. It's a reflection of fiber. So back to our earlier conversation. So absolutely, Trent, um, wouldn't want to just put a bale of alfalfa out there for baby calves or, um, you gotta be careful with that. Um, and, and also, you know, if you have calves in a grass trap in a grass trap or in a, in a, um, dry lot, remember those calves are going to go to what they um, prefer, what they are used to. So calves may not eat, you know, a, a grain or something like that very, very easily. They might be, you know, eating more hay. There's a lot of situations where bloat and digestive upset can occur even if you're, you know, watching and being careful because they might just avoid certain things. Um, and if alfalfa is in, in, in the equation, which is good, um, just make sure you're hand feeding maybe some of that alfalfa, not, not just sticking it out in the hay feeder. Um, remember we're always just adjusting that rumen, those rumen bugs to, um, what they're being fed. So you've got to always adjust. Then you got to think about what your labor options are there you know, for our full-time producers hand feeding hay or maybe grinding hay that that those animals can eat in a quick fashion is an option mm-hmm. for some of our producers that are part-time you're gonna have to be a little more flexible and have different ideas on how you're gonna do that i've always had really good luck with feeds that have some cottonseed holes in them and things yeah. like that it seemed to do pretty well with those calves yeah i could i could we could spend a couple of different sessions on talking about different individual feeds so cottonseed holes are great um Cottonseed hole pellets are can be are a lot of times included, and those are just a good filler for calves. It makes them feel more satisfied. They're very palatable. I think it looks kind of like it'd be scratchy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, it, it's calves just really like that. So um, think about just your different options. There's a oh a hundred different ways to do it. Just do what works best for you. And if you have a labor limitation. Um, keep that in mind because your labor is worth something. Going back to the cotton seed, there might be some concerns, especially if you have a bull with your cow calves, right? Yeah. So the glossopol, and I might not be pronouncing that exactly right. So if you're, so back to the supplementation, if you're looking at any sort of cotton products, um, especially a whole cotton seed, you could have some issues on that. But with baby calves, yeah, you need to be concerned, but the cotton seed holes, the whole, just the fiber portion, not whole cotton seed, cottonseed holes you shouldn't have as much problem with that but yes you got to be aware of that the the the, i don't know if it would be called a toxin josh i should know that more so but it it definitely you know you're limited um with some of those products so that's definitely true um but from a nutrition standpoint that's kind of where we're at um for calves just just we just want people to get started thinking about what what would plan for. All right. August is a good time to plan for feeds, um, whether it's supplements or calf feeds, um, have a plan, right? Yeah. I would say, you know, going back to growing feed in addition to the protein and energy, we're also looking at nitrates and everything else. Yeah. Especially on some of those Sudan 
high pay grazers. You kind of got to bring the bad stuff in, Josh. <laughs> Why do you have to talk yeah, about that? Yeah. So testing fee, yes, testing hay, right? Um, so what are some of those things that you would test for those? Be that devil's advocate. So think about those things. What would you talk about there, Josh? Uh, the biggest thing is nitrates. What we usually see mm -hmm. this year, this summer, anyways, grazing those, we've seen some issues with prusic acid. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of case by case scenario, like always. I think talking to some county educators, what I've seen is the summer was very different depending on when you were testing and what was going on at that time. Because we, you know, earlier on this year, and depending on where I keep forgetting, you know, Oklahoma is a little bit bigger than Garfield County, where yeah. I'm, where I'm mostly a. <laughs> operating but we're still dry in some spots yeah uh, we had pretty good drought going yeah we're still pretty dry summer. in the southwest and the western side of the state and we've had a lot of rain right in our area of operation but we were dry early on very dry and so it's just it's kind of a tale of two summers up here and and other parts of the state have different concerns i was just thinking about when you said that uh hay grazer and that sudan hay you know, that some of that stuff can test really high protein, really good digestibility, but that isn't something I'd feed to calves. No, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So it, just because the hay test says it's one thing, you got to think about, well, if that stuff was six or seven foot tall and big stocky stuff, that's probably not something I want my little baby calves to, to try to start eating. That is a very good point, Trent. So look at it, you know. You know, look at you can kind of identify the palatability. So absolutely, unless you're going to grind it. I mean, if you have that, um, if you can do that, if you're some people in it, that's not as big of a thing. But yeah, it, it's not a great option, though. It is a good option for cows. Maybe later mm -hmm. on um, after you put it up, especially if it's higher protein, higher energy and then not high in nitrates. Right, Josh. Mm. Um, but. Yeah, I wouldn't feed that to calves. Yeah, but you just think about your finer stem grasses, whether it's Bermuda or crabgrass is excellent grass, for yes. little calves. Uh, it practically melts. Mm -hmm. So just, I don't know, it's probably, it's something that people would probably think is an obvious duh, but you know, you just it's gotta, not you got to think about it, you know, especially whenever you're buying hay based off a test. Uh, that one savvy educator keep on telling me, you know, they have to go look at that hay. Mm -hmm. No matter, no matter what that test says, you got to go look at the hay and see what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Both visual and, uh, would you say, uh, analysis or scientific, right? <laughs> yeah. blend, blend the two to, yeah. to pick a good source. Yeah. So kind of recapping everything we've talked about. So we're coming into the later part of the summertime. Hay is getting produced, has been produced. Uh, I would caution from my standpoint, I'll let the other, other guys here, Josh and Tana, talk about their side of this deal. But from an economic standpoint, looking at hay, you know, we want that test. We want to know what it is. We can overpay for hay very easily and we cannot value high quality hay enough. And sometimes a cheap bale of hay is exactly that. You know, some people, we talk about crabgrass, you know, and I saw some crabgrass advertised the other day for $35 for a five by six bale. Sounds great. Oh, but in the description, it said might have some sampers. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so would you rather pay $35 a bale for that? Or would you rather pay $50 a bale for something that maybe doesn't have any wheat straw in it has been sprayed, has been fertilized, all these different things. And, you know, the higher quality of the hay, the less you're dumping feed. And mm -hmm. anytime you're buying either sacked feed or even bulk feed, that's going to be our most expensive uh, input for our cow calf operation or backgrounding operation. So those are kind of my cautions just to recap, you know, 
make sure you're valuing your feed sources correctly. Yeah, 40, for, 40 to 50 percent of costs, is that correct, is goes comes from added feeds. And that's probably if you're if you're being <laughs> conservative. Being conserv- <laughs> there you go. That's a good word for it. Being conservative about it. Uh, we tend to fall in love with those animals sometimes and we dump more feed than we really need to. Yeah. Yep. So I would say, you know, I think any county educators out there to give you guidance once you have the information, we can't do a whole lot for you if we don't know what we're working with. So get your hay tested, um, get some idea of what feeds are, are out there and we can help you with the management side and uh, help you give some, give you some ideas and that sort of thing. Um, that's what I would say. Try, what, try to have your hay tested two weeks before you need to feed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we <laughs> like, so. do it now yeah. before you need it. Right. So, um, that's what I would have. Yeah. Last minute thoughts, Josh. Uh, nothing that's already been said. Okay. Yeah. You're bad news, Josh, today. Yeah, bad I'm news, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of probably part one of several parts yep. of a little mini series we might incorporate into the podcast here talking about supplementation because that'll be a topic all winter long. And I'm sure as as I fail in my own operation to try to adequately <laughs> uh, supplement my cows, I'll have more questions for Dana and it'll spark new topics uh, to discuss. But we really appreciate you joining us. If you have any questions on supplementation, please reach out to your local county offices and we'll have resources in the description of the podcast to help you out with that. So we'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. If you would like to hear more or follow up on the discussed topics, please reach out to your local county extension agent. OSU has a presence in all 77 counties with the educators eager to assist you. Also, please consider checking the description for links to our social media pages and further information pertinent to the conversation. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.